Hello, and welcome to another episode of Norboard's Builder Insights Podcast. Builder Insights is your best source of information on new building techniques, materials, tools, and codes. Keep up to date with the latest developments as well as tips and tricks that will save you time and money on the job site. And now, Builder Insights. The following podcast is part of a series recorded live at the 2017 International Builders Show in Orlando. Listen to industry experts, fellow builders, and association members as they share their perspective on current trends and the struggles they face in the industry. They also share resources for framers and builders to help them save money and time. We hope you find these short conversations beneficial and that you like, share, and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Today we are talking to Tom Kaczynski and Matt Brown from the APA, the Engineered Woods Association. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Can we start by introducing yourselves to our audience? Share, us, uh, share with us uh, how both of you get started in your careers and how you ended up at the, uh, at the APA. And we'll start with you, Matt. Okay. Well, I started out after school in production building, spent five years as basically a quality manager for production builder. And then when the market started downturn, I got into the energy side of things, mm-hmm. went and get, became a certified HERS rater and did several things in the energy, energy code, got involved in the process. Mm-hmm. And then uh, through that, I ended up meeting contacts at APA and uh, the wood industry uh, wanted some energy expertise and there's an uh-huh. opening and I pulled over and went into the engineered wood side of things as well. And how long have you been doing that? I've been with APA for almost three years now. Three years now. Tom? Yeah, and it, it, what's interesting is that we had actually contracted with Matt to do some energy code training for our association. Really liked what he did, and within a year we had approached him and, and hired him to come on staff. So he's been a great resource for us. Excellent. My background is uh, I was educated as a wood scientist. Believe it or not, there's a there's Bachelor of Science in <laughs> wood. Yeah. Um, and then I've uh, been with APA for about 25 years working as the uh, field services division director. And we do a lot of training and education of builders, architects, engineers, and code officials on engineered wood products, use how to use those and apply them successfully. So who is the APA? Tell us a little bit about the APA. Well, we, we represent manufacturers of structural engineered wood products. So basically, any any product that you take the tree, you take it apart, you glue it back together again somehow mm-hmm. uh, to improve it. You know, those are our members. So manufacturers of OSB and plywood, engineered wood, eye joists, mm-hmm. glue lamb, structural composite lumber, and do a number of functions for the industry mm-hmm. in a general sense, one of which is education and training okay. and, 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 and code work. So APA is a participant in the Coalition for Fair Energy Codes, CFEC, C-F-E-C, and they work with states to address how to best implement the IECC. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. The Coalition for Fair Energy Code started after the development of the 2012 Energy Code. Okay. And there were some real challenging things that builders recognized in there that impacted them, and it also impacted the wood industry. And there were some provisions that we had some real issues with. And so the coalition came together uh, educate states as they adro- adopt the 2012 and later versions of the code to help them realize that there's some amendments they need to make to make sure that there's not a bias against use of engineered wood products. Right. That's the existence of the energy code. We're actually 
cooperative effort between APA and the American Wood Council. We've been at it for about four years now, working with states and assisting them on their adoptions of the, the latest versions of the energy code. So can you share some of the implications of those energy codes, how they affected builders and consumers? Sure. There was a huge jump in energy efficiency from the, basically from the 2006 IECC to the 2012. And it's been estimated, you know, upwards of over 30% mm -hmm. increase in energy efficiency. And when those codes are developed, a lot of times they don't take into consideration the impacts that the new requirements have on other aspects of the building, like right. building science, moisture issues, and the ability for walls to dry out because of new insulation requirements and that sort of thing. Yeah, the 2012 and the 2015 energy code, um, because of their their level of stringency, do pose some, some significant challenges to builders. Right. And not the least of which is cost. Right. They add a, add a significant amount of cost, depending on the climate zone. Right. And I think builders also try to look at things from a cost-effective standpoint, and I think you know, there are items within the 2012 and later that, you know, have 400-year paybacks and energy savings. 400? So, yeah, I mean, so is it really practical to put things like that in your home because it's a shiny product, it's a new product, it's something that, you know, has an overstated benefit, but when you actually look at the energy savings it has in the home, mm -hmm. you know, payback in 400 years, the homeowner will never see the act of life, you know, they'll never see anything back from that. So. Right. Oh, understood. Is there a federal energy co-development mandate? Can you talk about... Uh, yeah, I could probably address that a bit. I know there's new government and all that sort of stuff coming yeah, in. Yeah, the federal government, you know, the stimulus package that went through during the recession actually did have some strings attached to it, mm -hmm. that if states are going to receive that, that stimulus money, which was significant, mm -hmm. they had to adopt the 2009 energy code or an equivalent. Okay. So there can be situations where there is a, a mandate from the federal government if you accept money. But that was specific to that, the stimulus package that went okay. through in uh, President Obama's initial term. Okay. So overall, there is not a mandate from the federal government okay. that a state has to adopt an energy code. They have to report to the federal go government where they're at in terms of their state energy code. But it's, it's more of a reporting function as opposed to some sort of government mandate. I see. Can we talk about the Coalition for Fair Energy Code? Can you define it for me briefly? I wear two hats. So okay. I'm the executive director of the Coalition for Fair Energy Codes. Yeah. But my main job, my day job, is with APA. Right. So it's the CFAC, we call it, mm -hmm. is a coordinating body that coordinate with other organizations. We work with home builders, associations, and it's, it's really a, a virtual office, if you will. Okay. Again, our work is with states yep. primarily, and then we also work in the area of developing the new model codes, okay. which we just went through a process of coming up with a new model code, the 2018 IECC. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, there's a lot of additional work that needs to be done and then a, additional to... Uh, what we do at, at APA. Can you talk about the benefits of the CFEC to, uh, to, for builders and consumers? Yeah, how how know, do you impact them? We support energy efficiency, but we, we do believe that it needs to be 
economically justifiable that there is a return on investment on certain code change proposals and, mm -hmm. and provisions, and some of them just don't make economic sense. Right. And so we will support those proposals that further energy efficiency goals, but only if they're going to have a reasonable payback mm -hmm. and that they treat products and product types fairly. It's a pretty interesting dynamic when you get at some of these code change development, especially the energy code mm -hmm. processes. They, they can be dominated by certain industries, and the right. insulation industry is one that invests a lot of money and time right. into energy code development. You need to watch that right. so that your products don't get basically written out of the code. Right. The IECC has become stricter since its introduction, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it resulted in reduced overall energy usage in buildings where it was adopted. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the, the next version, the 2018? What, what's, what's, uh, what's in there that's changed from the 2015? Because that, that's the future, right, the 2018? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with that, and then I'm going to pass it off to Matt. But okay. what's interesting is that 2012 and the 2015 energy codes, they represent a high level of energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. But because of some of these provisions that Matt was alluding to that don't have a reasonable payback, they haven't been a very popular code. And a lot of states have either not adopted them okay. or they've heavily amended them. That's the 2012. The 2012 and the okay. 2015. So yeah, that's been a okay. problem. You can... You can come up with a code and you can say, wow, it's great. It's got nobody this uses it. huge energy efficiency and we're going to save all this energy. But if nobody's using it, right. it's not saving any energy. And that's the problem with the existing codes. And the 2018 actually has potential to become more widely adopted and used. Right. And, and a big thing there is it has a lot more flexibility. And that's what we're excited about with the 2018. And Maybe, Matt, you can cover yeah, some so of those. When I look at the 2018, one of the big advantages, and if you look at, you know, the code has different pathways to comply. You okay. have prescriptive and you have two performance paths. And prescriptively, the code didn't change a whole lot. It had a little increase in window U factors that make it slightly more efficient. But as far as our industry goes, the issues that we had in the 2012 and 2015 are identical in the 2018, prescriptively. Mm. However... One of the big advantages of the 2018 is it gives us a lot of flexibility in the performance and energy rating index pathways for the code. Okay. So that flexibility is going to allow our industry uh, you know, to really be able to take advantage of that and to be able to engineer wall designs and, and stuff with using energy raters, energy professionals, to be able to combat some of those really overly aggressive insulation values that came in in the 2012 and 2015. Can, um, sorry, Matt. Can, can, can you describe the IECC com, uh, compliance path? Sure. So the IECC itself has four different compliance paths that you can use, basically, all the way through its existence. The 09 only had three, but 2012 and later, they had four paths. Okay. And, or excuse me, 2015 and later, they had four paths. So the way they work that is you have two prescriptive paths. Prescriptive is basically a recipe for how you want to build the home. Okay. There's a code table in the code, a table of R values, yes. and you simply follow the recipe and you're in compliance with the code. With that, it has a, a U factor alternative to that, which you know, the U value is the inverse of the R value, so you can flip it over and you can use a total UA approach as well. Okay. That's both prescriptive, so you have a lot of mandatory requirements, but if you're a builder, you don't want to get anyone else involved, you just want to build by a recipe, mm -hmm. that's the way you go. 
Okay. In 2009, they introduced a simulated performance path, and in 2015, they added the energy rating index path. Both of those paths, by definition, are performance because instead of just looking at what's going on in our walls, our floors, or our ceilings, like the prescriptive path will, mm -hmm. we're going to look at that home as you know the whole home approach to it. How does the windows react with what's going on in the attic insulation, with mm. wall insulation, with heating and cooling equipment, and, and all those pieces. So the performance path, it gives you flexibility within that envelope to design it to what's cost-effective and what's going to save you good energy. The threshold for the performance path is you still have to meet the efficiency level of the prescriptive path or better through a cost analysis, but it gives you complete flexibility in how you do that. The ERI path, energy rating index path, basically gives you that same flexibility, but then it also adds in, you can take advantage of things like high efficient equipment, mm -hmm. and it associates it all to a point index where you have a standardized index and you have to read a certain threshold on that index for your climate zone and you're in compliance. Okay. But it gives you kind of the whole suite of options. You can take effect credit for high efficient equipment, high efficient lighting, favorable orientation, solar mass, a bunch of different pieces go into that that you can actually take credit for. Kind of the all-in approach. And it assigns it to just a basic numeric value of the efficiency of the home then. You know, if I could jump, jump in, the uh, performance paths, the ERI path and the simulated performance path, one of the advantages there is when you look at the prescriptive cookbook approach, some of those requirements in there, if you say you look at wall insulation and the window U-factors and all these different pieces, some of those are really expensive to do. Okay. So you're locked in that you got to do that that whole approach, right, mm -hmm. and, and meet those R values. On the performance side, you can say, well, this really expensive uh, requirement of the code, I'd like to make that less expensive, and I'll, I'll increase efficiency elsewhere. Right. That's the flexibility it gives you. So I think we're going to see more and more of a shift to performance paths, including the ERI, the Energy Rating Index Path, which is based on the HERS uh, model. Right. Have, 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 did you talk about the third-party element? So the third-party element really comes into play in your performance paths, and that's okay. because you know residential energy services network, ResNet, credentials, energy raters in our industry. Uh, right now they're pretty much the only body that does that. There's a Building Performance Institute does as well, some of them. Mm -hmm. But a rater, an energy rater, is really there to energy model the home, and they can help builders cost engineer their homes. What is oftentimes scary for builders is now I have another set of eyes in the job. I have another consultant. Right. Anytime you say the word consultant to builders, they immediately <laughs> say expensive. Right. You know, and they're probably the least expensive consultant that you could have on site. And, you know, oftentimes what their work does and entails by helping you cost engineer your designs, you more than pay for their fee to have them on site. You right. know, so plus they offer the third set of eyes for you or second set of eyes, depending on what your chain of command is as a builder. Yeah. That, you know, they go out and inspect your insulation. So they also are making sure and giving you some quality assurance as well that, you know, your insulator and air sealer actually did their job. Right. And then the final element to that is they... So, sorry, uh, Matt, so that's a HERS rater you're talking about, you're yes. describing, right? Okay, sorry. HERS rater, Home yep. Energy Rating System yep. rater, yep. And then the final element that they do is they actually test the house. So right. we can... We can throw all these things at the house we want, but if we don't actually know how it's leaking or mm. we know where it's coming from, 
or we test it out to make sure that we're meeting a good air leakage rate, mm -hmm. it doesn't do us any good. And that's kind of the final step that they give, which is also required by the code. Mm -hmm. They're testing out your air leakage. They're going to test out your duct leakage. Yeah. That scares some builders, too, you know, because now we're not only inspecting it and we're looking at all these items, but now someone has to test it, and are they going to give me a hard time about it, you know, if something goes wrong. And really it comes down to if they're doing their job well and doing their inspections, any issues you have, you're going to know it before testing. And, and so I encourage builders, and as a builder, I hired the HERS rating company I ended up going to work for because we saw value in that. And really leaning on them as a builder and relying on them to help guide you through the process will save you the money of their fee, and mm -hmm. it will give you confidence that you're going to easily meet the code. Speaking of their fee, can you... Can you do you have any numbers on what that, what that would typically cost? Well, it does vary. I mean, okay. and it varies across the country. But in general, for a code compliance package, you're probably going to expect to pay between three and $500 for Raider services per home. Per home, yeah. Um, it, it's on every home. And like I said, it varies. There are some pockets where it's more. But in general, between three and $500 across the country is going to pay for their services. And Matt, does that include the cost of uh, duct blaster tests? And other code-required testing. Yeah, that, and that door. also includes your testing. So that is your upfront energy modeling and permit submittal, your one-site visit inspection after installation and air sealing, and your final test out. So, you know, and that's that's a general cost, but like I said, that's that's commonly where you're going to fall within the U.S. You're not looking at something usually that's several thousand dollars. I mean, right. It, it's not one of those kind of consultants. So. I think for a future podcast, I probably I would like to reach out to you from a HERS Raiders perspective, and we'll do a, a separate, you know, recording just on that because I think it'd be handy for builders to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, know uh, what that entails, what's involved, and, and how to reach out to uh, to people who are uh, HERS Raiders. Right. Okay. Uh, so that I mean that pretty much covers most of the things that we are supposed to talk about today. I, I wonder in conclusion if you want to sort of sort of wrap things up, is there any messages that you'd like to to uh, have you know builders know about uh, about the new codes, uh, about uh, you know your your association, how uh, you know if there's anything that we haven't covered, maybe you could just add that as a closing. You know, and I think you may have covered this uh, somewhat in some other podcast, but I would just encourage builders to be active in their local HBAs from a technical standpoint, from a code adoption standpoint, you could end up with a code that you're complaining about mm -hmm. that you could have done something about as the state adopted it. There's resources available through the local HBAs. The National Association of Home Builders also puts together toolkits for energy code adoptions. Mm -hmm. I know they're working on one for the 2018 code, which is going to be published later this year. Okay. Yeah, get involved. Know what resources are available. There will still be, I think, uh, opportunities to make some slight amendments as you look at adopting the next version of the code. Yeah. But uh, I think there's a case for state is going to adopt the 2015, let's say, mm -hmm. in, the, in the coming year to pull in some of these changes that were just recently passed for the 2018. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is really to get involved in your, your local chapter, work with the National Association of Home Builders as well figure out what works best for your state in terms right. of uh, amendments. That seems to be a theme in, the, in every podcast I've had in, in the last two days. The people have been talking about how valuable the HBAs are and how they need to get involved in them because, of, you know, the energy codes are, are a big issue for builders because it, it, you know, it involves costs, but it also involves, you know, some complications for them. Sure. And they need to, they need to be uh, informed and they need to be able to address them. 
they're not involved in the in the HBAs, then they're uh, they're really not they're really not helping themselves. Sure. Okay. And I think I think a couple other things related to the energy rating index path. You know, that's going to become more and more popular. Builders use these energy raters to provide these services, and you're going to see more and more homes being compared on the basis of their ERI number in terms right. of energy performance. So we see that as a trend. I think states need to pay attention to that, make sure that the index numbers are set at appropriate levels like the 2018 did. Right. And then finally, I'd say make use of APA resources. We have a very comprehensive website mm -hmm. that provides you a lot of tools on how to cost-effectively frame mm -hmm. to uh, meet the energy codes, and that website is apawood.org. Excellent. Anything else you want to add, Matt? I think something important, too, is we talk about energy, and from a builder's perspective and for a rater, mm -hmm. understanding the need of balancing energy and structure is very important. So as a, as a final thing, I would say that always keep in mind that we can do a lot of great things for energy, but we've got to balance how we're going to structurally support the home, too. And there are things that you can do for energy that can affect the structural ability of the home. Mm -hmm. So balancing the two is key, not just going full in energy or full in structural, mm -hmm. but balancing energy and structure is a key to it as well. Fantastic. I think we'll end it right there. Yeah. Great. Thanks Thank very much for Thanks, coming Dave. in, Tom. And Matt, Thanks. thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast, and we'll uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk again in the future. All right. Sounds, All right. Good. Sounds good. That concludes this installment of Norboard's Builder Insights Podcast. You'll find more of the same great content on our blog, including show notes and links to additional information. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing, liking, and subscribing on iTunes. Thanks for listening.